Okay. All right. Let's talk about it then, <clears throat> First Jhana. And we're going to talk about it in two different respects. One is the respect of how to get into it, and then the second respect is how to maintain it or sustain it, and what do we do with it. That that's, in fact, one of the bigger issues that people have is, is that, uh, especially in Western Buddhism, when they, uh, you see, Western mindset is very uh, attainment-oriented. And so when we hear words in, uh, uh, let us say, Western Buddhism that have to do with these attainments, then people lust for these things and they want them. And there's a whole bunch of them. There's one, two, three, four jhanas, and there's sotapan, sotagami, anagami, arahat, there's enlightenment, there's an enlightenment that all kinds of things for people to desire to gain attainments. This whole series of wanting something that we don't have is actually Buddha's definition of suffering. Clinging. So wanting enlightenment is a kind of clinging. Yeah. And nobody's going to get enlightenment by wanting it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in fact, if light, enlightenment is being free from wanting anything, then we have to practice being free from wanting anything, and then the enlightenment will happen naturally. But if we want to practice enlightenment, we'll never get anywhere. (laughs) Because we're stuck in a state of desire. We're stuck in a state of wanting. So we can say then that the first jhana is actually getting the mind into a state of not wanting anything. That would be the way of looking at it. And this is exactly what we mean by uh, it when we look at its various factors. There are five factors to the first jhana. And there's one of them that is a key ingredient. And that key ingredient is, is that the mind is free from hindrances. That above all is the practice. Everything has to be done with uh, being free from the hindrances. And so when we recognize that, then we begin to understand how to become free from the hindrances. Because as you were talking before about the 99 versus the one, that means that whatever amount of time that's spent in hindrances, that's when you could have been spending your time in freedom instead but that you spend a lot of time in in hindrances. Now, one of the things that we do then is that we begin to to develop the skill of looking to see whether this thought is a hindering thought or is this thought a wholesome thought. And so this is the basic practice that most Westerners miss out on. They do things like choiceless awareness. They do things like um, noting techniques and many other practices that really are not what the Buddha taught. That the Buddha, uh, number one point is that the mind has to be free from the hindrances. And a lot of suttas are about this. 
Sutta number 19 uh, talks about two kinds of thought. Wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts. Sutta number 117, uh, which is an exposition of the Eightfold Noble Path, talks about right effort. And what is one's right effort? One's right effort is to change our views about things from unwholesome views to wholesome views. And then we start changing the thoughts from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts so that we begin to have one wholesome thought after another after another. This is the way that we practice. So when you're going down the hall with your dad in the wheelchair, going down that dark hall, you're having dark thoughts. Unhappy thoughts, miserable thoughts, and then something happened and you changed the way that you were thinking. I would say I, that's that's one uh, important thing because I was not having dark thoughts. I only had one dark thought, which was I, I was I was quiet and, and relaxed until I got to the middle of the room and then the big wave came onto me. I mean, I feel like uh, after all this, the, all this practice, I have uh, trained the mind not to produce the uh, unwholesome thoughts all the time. So I was quite relaxed. I was quite uh, really accepting the situation and living on, on, on that moment. Okay, well, let's not okay. go back to that. Let's not go, because it's in the past. Okay. Let's stay with how to practice in the present moment. Okay. Okay, this is the whole show. The whole show is to, in fact, this is how the Eightfold Noble Path is built. You have right view, right sati, right effort, and right attitude. Those four things together bring about right unification of mind. And with the mind completely unified and free and pure and whole, our behavior is also, and our speech is also, and our livelihood is also free and noble. So we have to get the mind free. We have to get the mind noble in a state of nobility, in a state of unity and organization. And so this is how we practice is to get the mind free from unwholesome states. That's the first thing that has to be done. But I, I have I have one question about this, about this because I feel that um, after practicing this, uh, after, after practicing meta uh, for for quite a while, it, I feel that my body or my mind or whatever my body minds uh, got used to doing meta and I can almost feel meta all the time so whenever I do it's like it's it's happening before experience it's happening before I see something or before I think something and sometimes what would be an unwholesome thought comes to me, but I send meta to it and it makes me happy. <laughs> well, 
Okay. First off, let's make some definition changes for you so that we can understand what's going on. Okay. First off, according to the teachings of the Buddha, that metta is the outcome of correct practice, that it is not a practice. Okay. Metta is the outcome of correct practice, not a practice. All right, so what we can say how that works is, is that if we have the internal world, our mind, fit for the moment, <clears throat> then in that moment we will be uh, operating in a state of metta when we're dealing with the outside world. <clears throat> because the correct practice, if we want to use the word metta, which has got which the Buddha does not, he does not use the word metta. He uses words like gladdening the mind, uh -huh. wholesome thoughts. Now it's possible that you can have thoughts that you call metta that are actually wholesome thoughts. But a lot of people will practice metta by, because they've heard it uh, with phrases like, may all beings be happy. This is a generalized kind of thing in the sense that the world is out there, way far distant from us, as opposed to the fact that the world is our immediate environment. We, in the West, we have an, an overly exaggerated, grandiose view of what we mean by reality or existence. And um, when we talk about universes and our universe, we think of stars and galaxies and outer space and things that are really far away. And when we think about the world, we think about the planet Earth in the sense of people on the other side of the planet and things like that that are really, really far away. And this is a mistake when it comes to practicing metta because you can't learn, excuse me, can't love things that are distant. And it makes no assistance anyway. If you love something that's distant from here, then all you have is longing and pining for it because you don't have it because it's not here. A much better way of understanding what the world is, is that which is available to you. It's your environment. It's the air you breathe and the people who walk by you and uh, uh, your friends and companions and business associates and uh, uh, priests and uh, teachers and uh, workers. All of these people that you come in contact, that and only that is your world. But most of the Westerners, we have a grandiose idea of the world being really big and really far out there. Yes. All right. And so uh, when we say then, uh, uh, may all beings be happy, we're talking about it in, this, in a very, very broad, general sense. That really doesn't mean anything. Okay, but the next point about yes. meta um, is is that when we are wishing other people happiness, may all beings be happy. 
it's almost like trying to give someone a gift that you don't have. May all beings be happy, but I'm not happy. And so this is how metta is practiced as a practice, and this is why only a few people have any value out of it, and even those people who have some value out of it in the moment, it's not a sustainable value. It's because it's actually based something on magical thinking. Mm-hmm. A much better way of practices is the way that the Buddha teaches himself in the sense of gladdening the mind and any metta thoughts that you have are just part of the gladdening of the mind. But getting the mind gladdened up is the most important first step. Okay, changing okay, so... the thoughts. Uh, I, 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 then that what I wanted to ask is, uh, I may have uh, unwholesome thoughts, but I, my mind is, I have trained my mind to smile. So uh, maybe an unwholesome thought comes, but I don't cling into it because my mind smiles to the unwholesome thought. Does that make sense? I don't know where we were going with this, but well, uh, you well, we're going in the direction of first jhana. First jhana. That was your question. Yes. Okay. And the first thing that we have to do in order to get into first jhana is to forget about wanting things. For instance, may all beings be happy is wanting something that doesn't exist. Metta is something that can be done when the mind is ready for it. We have to get the mind ready for it. And in this regard, I can say that um, basically in the way that it puts things together. And um, uh, but it all is 